So uh, this morning, we had an overview of Mark's Gospel, didn't we? Um, we looked at the opening verse, Mark's thesis statement, his title of his Gospel, his argument for, for his entire book, that essentially the claim that, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then we looked throughout uh, the whole book to see how he proves that, that statement. This evening then we're going to focus on chapter 1. We're going to do the same as this morning, but looking at chapter 1, where Mark begins to, to prove this claim. And uh, there's three points that I want to get from these verses. And uh, the first point is word. Can you say that with me? Word. Second point is action. Action. Third point is compassion. Compassion. So word, action, compassion. Point one. What's point one? Word. We're listening. Good. Uh, Mark begins by taking us to God's word. He uh, quotes, as I said this morning, Isaiah and Malachi. Isaiah 40, verse 3, and Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Um, two prophecies of Christ's coming that at the time were centuries old. In fact, there are over 350 prophecies that were written down centuries before Jesus came in the Old Testament. That, not surprisingly, Jesus being the Messiah, he alone fulfilled. Mark uh, draws on Isaiah and Micah to be representatives of, of all the other prophets whose writings we still have. Prophets who correctly predicted Jesus' place of birth, for example. Prophets who predicted who um, Jesus' mother and father will be, and their bloodlines and, and ancestral history. Jeremiah, he knew the geopolitical events at the time of, of Jesus' birth. The prophets also knew Jesus' race and knew his cultural upbringing. They knew what his teaching style would be. And they even foretold of the, the miracles that he would do. It was all predicted centuries beforehand in God's word. The prophets even knew how Jesus would die. Uh, Zechariah, 600 years before Christ, knew that Jesus would be portrayed. Isaiah 53 spoke of the uh, crucifixion. Many centuries before, the torture device was even invented. The psalmist even knew what uh, Jesus' last drink would be. And what would happen to his clothing at death. These are all very <laughs> precise predictions, aren't they? The detail that we are given of Christ in the Old Testament is, is just astounding. The probability of, 
of such prophecies all being fulfilled in, in, in just one man, but it's utterly mind-blowing, isn't it? Mark is telling us here, through Isaiah, through Malachi, that, that Jesus is the Son of God and, and the Word of God testifies to him. Amen? And it is through the Word that Mark then introduces us to the preacher of the word, who is a man called John the Baptist, who, verse 4, he calls people out to the wilderness to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, what he's doing here is a rather symbolic action. He is calling people away from their luxury and comfort. He's calling them out into the wilderness to strip them back from their familiar surroundings so that they can truly see who they really are before the living God. And when we gather, when we come to church, this is our wilderness, isn't it? It's away from our familiar, our homes. When we gather under God's word... And we're reminded that we are lost. That we're reminded that we actually just exist in a wilderness. Who always comes to meet us through the word preached? Well, the word made flesh. What's his name? Jesus. Jesus the Christ, whom God says here in verse 11, You are my son. Who I love, with you I am well pleased. Jesus is the Ancient of Days, of whom every word of the Old Testament points to. He is our Lord, he is our Saviour, he really came. And he came to stand and mediate and, and intercede perfectly for us. The righteous for the unrighteous. Illustrated here, so wonderfully in Mark, chapter 1, in the story of Jesus' baptism. Did Jesus need to be baptised? We need to be baptised, so we can share in his death and his resurrection. And what we read here is, as soon as Jesus is baptised, Jesus is then whisked by the Spirit out into the desert to put the word immediately into action. We read that he goes on the hunt for the devil and he puts the devil in his place. Other accounts tell us of the same event, that Jesus puts the devil in his place by the word. He says to the devil, it is written. Can you say that with me? It is written. And then once he defeats the devil with the word, we're whisked off again to find Jesus. What's he doing now? Well, he's preaching the word in Galilee. And verse 15, he says, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus preaches the word here. And the word is to call everyone into repentance which means to simply turn. 
change direction, to leave your old lives behind and follow him into the new, to leave all that takes you away from God, all that takes you away from church, all that takes you away from reading your Bible, all that takes you away from your prayer life, all that takes you away from your Christian service, drop them all. Repent and believe the good news. Amen? The word believe here in the original language is a verb, a doing word that leads to an ongoing action. Which brings us to point two. What was point one? Word. Point two? Action. Yes. You see what Mark is trying to get across in this chapter is, is the immediacy and, and the busyness of the gospel in action. What he's trying to get across here is, is that the message of Christianity is it's not pie in the sky when you die. It's not I believe so I can just carry on as I am, uncha unchanged, doing, doing exactly what I want to do, living how I want to live until I die, and then based on the decision I make today, I then go to heaven. That's what people think Christianity is. But it's not. If that's all Christianity is, it's not good news. The good news is, in fact, the word believe is a verb. The good news is that the word believe leads to immediate action. It leads to transformation. Today. Not when you die. Now. It leads to change. It leads to, to liberation from your broken past. It leads to freedom, it leads to, to new beginnings and a new life. That's good news, isn't it? If you claim to believe in Christ, and I know I'm preaching to the converted here, but if you claim to believe in Christ, yet coming to church is not your priority each week, if you claim to believe in Christ and yet regularly meeting and serving your brothers and sisters within the church is not a priority for you. If you claim to believe in Christ, yet you are not reading your Bible, you're not praying, and you're not living sacrificially, if these things are just not on your radar, if these things are not top of your to-do list, especially on the Lord's Day, well, my friends, it is not the Jesus of the Bible that you believe in. And I genuinely fear for your souls. Am I upsetting? <laughs> the Jesus of the Bible, in the authority of the word, calls us by grace into action into making a concrete stand for him in the reality of life today. That's what church is. What you're doing here now tonight is you're making a stand for Jesus by being here. 
he says in verse 15 that the kingdom of God has come. It's here now. Repent. Stop what you're doing. Change direction. Believe. Which means to live out, to practice the good news. Otherwise, what is the point of our faith? What is the point of Christianity? If your belief in Christianity does not drive you into action, if your belief has, has absolutely no effect on your behaviour, if your belief brings no change into your life, if your, if your faith does not drive you into a community of, of faithful practice, what's the point of it all? It's just pie in the sky when you die. Without action, Christianity just becomes a, a weak and, and impotent and self-indulgent and, and self-pleasing moral crusade. It becomes meaningless. It becomes personal religion that helps nobody and does nothing. It's just dead. It's a vain hope that you won't go to hell in the future. And sadly, this is the assumption of many in Wales. Sadly, it's the assumption of 99% of people on this street. And it's all because of generations and after generations of lacklustre, uncommitted, nominal Christians who think that simply by believing in Jesus that they're all right when they die. They don't live out that faith today. But here in chapter 1, Mark clearly smashes this idea of Christianity out of the water in the immediacy of God's word being put into action in the life of Jesus Christ. We worship a God who is incarnational. A God whose love leads to action. Amen? So what was point one? Word. What was point two? Action. Jesus then goes on to call his disciples, which again is action. Verse 16, he calls uh, Simon and Andrew, fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. And then he walks further downstream. And in verse uh, 19, excuse me, he meets James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they go to verse 21, Capernaum, to set up base. Action, action, action. And then they went into a synagogue and they began to teach God's word. And verse 22, people were amazed. Verse 24, Jesus meets a man um, who has a demon. And this demon, well, he knows all about Jesus, doesn't he? The demon, in fact, has, has more knowledge of Christ than anyone else in the, the narrative other than the Roman soldier that we spoke of this morning. Remember Mark's claim in verse 1? Who's Jesus? The Son of God. And the demon responds here in verse 24. With I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. He's got it right, isn't he, this demon? You see, even the demonic, they believe in Jesus. Doesn't this testify to the point I'm making tonight? 
that belief by itself, belief that doesn't lead to action, belief that doesn't lead to commitment, does not save a single soul. This demon believes in Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. But he's damned. Another interesting point that we can see here whilst we're in this verse, which is rather topical at the moment, is that verse 24, this demon identifies himself using a plural pronoun. It's interesting, isn't it? What do you want us, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth, he says. If Twitter was about back then, and you searched this demon's Twitter account, its profile would read, they then. Interesting, isn't it? Make of that what you will. I digress. Just as Jesus uh, shot the devil down with word and action, we see the same done here to the demon. Verse 25, the word of God in flesh says, be quiet. And verse 26, the demon then came out of the man. The point that, that Mark is making here in chapter 1 is quite simple. God's word and action, they go together. Amen? Just as we read in James. Faith without works is dead. Can you say that with me? Faith without works is dead. This is true because this is who Jesus is. He is the word made flesh. He is God's word in action. That's who we worship. God's word in action. And as Christians who follow Jesus, we must then be the same. We must be in the word, and then by faith we must live it out. Amen? And this is a strong challenge for us all to take on board this evening. Word and action. Say it with me. Word and action. My brothers and sisters in Christ, there, there is no point wishing and praying that your neighbours or that your work colleagues or that your husband or your wife or your children will one day come to know Jesus and be saved if they can't see you putting your word into action. If they have never ever seen you read the Bible, if they have never ever seen you praying, if they have never ever seen you commit to the local church, you have lost all authority in your witness when you tell them about Jesus. Your words will, will just be as empty as your faith if they're not met with deed. I've got two young men in my church with unbelieving wives. Both, every Thursday we have a men's meeting and both plead with God for their wife's salvation. When his wife wanted to go to the shops and said that on a Sunday morning, person A would give in to her and take her to the shops and not come to church. Person B would remind his wife every week, Jesus is number one, I'm going to church. Don't even ask. A year later, whose wife got saved. 
the second one. Because she could see that this Jesus was number one in his life. So when he, he shared the gospel with her, she knew that for him it was true. We must, must ask ourselves as Christians, how will our family, how will our friends, how will our work colleagues, how will Cliddock ever put Jesus first if we as Christians don't? It's a strong challenge, isn't it? Word and action, say it with me. Word and action. You can't have one without the other. And this is the point of, of Mark's entire gospel. But I'm, I'm not saying this to send you all out this week as, as Jesus, Jesus militant. That doesn't work either. He wants his word put into action. Of course he does. But he does not want an, an army of egotistical, judgmental, Bible-bashing busybodies, does he? We are to be people of the word, shown and revealed to the world through our actions, but who remembers what point three was? Yeah, word, action, compassion. Look with me at how the end of Mark's chapter goes. Verse 29. Jesus and the disciples leave the synagogue. And does it say they went out and, and shouted at people and bullied people in the streets and harassed them with the gospel? Or does it say that they discriminated against and looked down upon those who, who do not believe what, what we believe? It doesn't, does it? Verse 30, we're told that they, they met Simon's mother-in-law who was sick and, and they helped her. Verse uh, 35, early in the morning, they prayed and went throughout Galilee ministering to people. Verse 40, they, they met a man desperately sick who was isolated. He had leprosy and, and Jesus touched him, showed him affection. He loved him. Can you see the compassion here at the end of the chapter? What Mark chapter 1 reminds us is that the gospel does come with authority and, and life-changing power that, that can make demons flee and can heal the sick when we, who are the followers of Jesus, put God's word into authentic action with compassion. We often miss one of those three out, don't we? The gospel, the good news is we are saved by grace, amen? All of grace. Nothing in my hands I bring, 
simply to the cross I cling. And it is by the same grace that, that we have been freely given God's word today. And it's by the same grace that we have all just heard it being preached to us. And it's by the same grace that, that we have all been given authority to go out of this chapel and make disciples of the whole world. But to do this, we need three things. What are they? Word, action, compassion. If the Son of God, who is the Word, if he came, action, as a servant, compassion, as we see in Mark 1, there is then no higher calling for us than to mimic him. To be a servant to the word, to action and compassion. We're never more like Jesus when we're living in those three things. It's a privilege, isn't it? 